1: Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant
0: Radio. A lot to unpack today on Trending. We're going to talk about what you need to know, five myths about children and their exposure to pornography. Do you know that the average child is exposed to pornography between the ages of eight and about 12? More and more commonly, we are saying it's younger. And we're going to talk later today about an important question about infertility treatment, third-party reproductive technologies. Seemingly, they may appeal as that means to have a child. If you or someone you know is struggling to conceive, we're going to talk about it. I was sent a question recently by a woman who said, hey, um what you're saying isn't true about Third-party reproductive technology treatments, and you know this is a real cross. You want to make sure what the church, what the church teaches, is actually what you're saying. I 100% agree. So, we're going to continue to talk about what the church teaches surrounding fertility treatment because it's such an important and sensitive topic and one that we need to handle delicately. And sometimes there can be confusion or misrepresentation of what the church has and has not said on this issue. We're going to be joined in a moment by Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restore, to talk about good news that a leading pornography distributor is leaving multiple states in fact you can't even open their website beyond an introductory open page that's rather clean considering what kind of website it is also today on trending what's going on why are we misunderstanding our bodies from the crisis surrounding marriage gender same-sex attraction eating and so much more what is going on is there something fundamentally underlying all of these issues Well, there actually is. We're going to get to the root cause of what's impacting our overall health and well-being. So stay with me today on Trending. Joining me now is Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restore. They're on the front line addressing the crises today surrounding pornography. And great news was shared actually a few weeks ago that we're just barely talking about, but I think it's pretty significant because it gives an example of what can be done to Fight this rampant sexual exposure of images, sexual images, to children and adults. Jim O'Day from Integrity Restored, welcome to Trending.
1: Hey, Timory, always great to be on with you. Thanks for having me.
0: I thought of you immediately when I heard the news a few weeks ago that the leading pornography distributor is leaving multiple states. That's Pornhub. They're the largest distributor of pornography, over 115 million views in a single day. They are known as YouTube of porn, and they have officially abandoned the states of Mississippi, Utah, and Virginia, with four more likely to follow, including Montana, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas, all of which are states. These seven states have passed laws that would require ID verification in order for someone to access pornography. So in the attempt to make it so that children can't view, talk to me about what's going on.
1: Uh, It's, it is great news. And it, and it, you know, it's amazing because sometimes we, we do have common sense, right? Um, I did a podcast. uh, If, if your folks go to my uh, website, integrityrestored.com, they can look up the podcast. I did a podcast uh, on this topic back in early May when the news first broke. And um, Pornhub is so angry and so vehement that this is illegal, that they're asking everybody who tries to access in one of those states and gets the message that they're no longer able to, to contact you know, their local uh, councilmen, se- state senators, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's literally impacting the bottom line, their business, the spread of the scandalous content that's occurring. Now, it's interesting because this actually had unimaginable success. These laws that have passed in these seven states were hopeful attempts to block pornography, but the industry is so massive, so financially well off that it's really difficult, especially with pornography not being illegal. Now you're not supposed to be spreading child pornography, but children have been able to access all forms of pornography online, both legal and illegal. And I think that as we look at this news, it's a reminder of the bottom line that laws really do matter. If seven states currently have laws on the books and three of them where Pornhub has already abandoned the state, that's great news. And I do want to add a caveat, Jim, because I know there is that ability to hack your IP address and make it seem as if you're using a computer somewhere else. And some people will, and some people are doing this. But the bottom line is, is that the more difficult we make it to give, be given access to things such as pornography, the fewer people will go to these websites.
1: Well, that's absolutely correct. And we just have to look at the other age verification processes we have in this country in place to protect minors. Um, Tobacco, alcohol, Mm -hmm. driving. Why should pornography be exempt from that? Are are we saying that underage kids never buy tobacco? No. But we're making it (laughs) much more difficult. Or never buy alcohol? No. Or drive without a license? No. But... These tools are in place and they have saved lives. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, keeping a child of eight years old, I mean, that's eight to ten is the average Timory, so that means there's even younger. Keeping mm-hmm. them away from this stuff is saving their life, too, because their brains are not ready to process the violence that they are going to see.
0: Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? Let's talk a little bit about myths surrounding pornography. What do parents need to know and what are those preconceived misconceptions about their kid and pornography that might be kind of tough news to hear and maybe we might even be in denial now hearing it?
1: Well, I mean, I think one of the first things we have to talk about is, you know, when I was growing up, you had the birds and the bees conversation and uh, you know, that was a, a one and done conversation, usually poorly done. Um, it has to be an ongoing conversation with your children. Mm. You have to have this conversation regularly without judgments. I tell parents all the time, leave your own broken sexual narrative at the door because we all have one and talk to your kids what they're going to be facing. That's number one. Uh, Number two is that, well, it's just, we hear it all the time here, it's just normal, you know, adolescent curiosity.
0: Mm.
1: No, no. Normal adolescent curiosity is a conversation about how babies are made, is a conversation about what God intends for our sexuality and for Mm. our bodies. It's not what they're learning by watching Mm. pornography. Another thing that parents make the mistake of all the time, in my opinion, from my work here at Integrity Restored, is that this is a boy's problem. Mm. And, right. and here's the one that really breaks my heart. When you talk to a young woman, uh, a teen girl who has been watching pornography every day for a couple of years now or more, she feels an incredible amount of shame and guilt, more than our boys. Mm -hmm. And she also feels something is wrong with her Mm -hmm. because this is supposed to be a boy's problem. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that one really, really breaks my heart.
0: Right. And I talk to these girls all the time when I'm out speaking. I always mention pornography and that, like you said, it's not just a boy's issue. And every single time I have a young woman, as young as in high school, college you name it where they say no one talks about it i have felt isolated like i had no help and in tears they'll share it thank you for saying something because we need help too oh absolutely
1: i mean these these poor young girls i mean can you imagine you're struggling with something you're afraid to confess it you don't want to talk to anybody about it there's so much shame and guilt and then you're being told but you shouldn't have that problem anyway you're not a boy Mm -hmm. Our brains, men and women's brains, are different. But in certain ways, they're very similar. And the addictive nature, that that would be like saying women could never be alcoholics or get addicted to nicotine. The addictive nature of pornography will do the same damage to our young girls as it does to the boys.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What else are the other common myths that parents often believe, even if they know pornography is an issue with regard to how their children are being exposed?
1: Well, this one always cracks me up, especially today. It's like parents know that pornography used to come into the home through the computer. So even to this day, 2023, well, you know, our computers in a public area of the house, we look over our kid's shoulder when they're online. Mm -hmm. Great and you also gave them a smartphone that they carry with them 24 hours a day, bring into the bathroom with them, up to their bedroom every night, that's where your kids are looking at pornography. Mm -hmm. It's not on the laptop or desktop computer Mm -hmm. in the home. It's on their Mm -hmm. phones.
0: Because there's a natural sense of shame already. They know that they are trying to conceal what they're seeing because our our response kicks in, the sense of awe, but also the sense of, oh, something isn't quite right about this.
1: personal story i was 11 years old i found a playboy magazine in the garbage in new york city outside my apartment building i took that playboy magazine i opened it up it was like the top of my head blew up i didn't know what happened but i knew i really liked it Mm. i took that playboy i hid it under my shirt i snuck by my mom into the apartment that went under my mattress I was 11 years old. I didn't know what Playboy was, mm-hmm. but I knew I better hide that. How did I know that? So your kids are going to use the technology that they have in private. And that is generally their phones.
0: And as I look at these five myths about children's exposure to pornography, you know, my kid's a good kid. They won't be curious <laughs> about this you know this idea that my child saw it, they would just look away that you know my that you have put good measures in place that it's only a boy's problem or even this idea that they you know they won't be curious they'll be curious if you share about it i think all of these are significant because it kind of presents this idea of I am doing something, I know it's a problem, I'm keeping an eye out. But I think time and time again of notorious serial killer Ted Bundy's story, which you know very well. He, at the end of his life, facing death row, was interviewed. And in that interview, he was very careful about who he allowed to interview him. Who did the man from Focus on the Family? Who was it that interviewed James him? James Dobson. James James Dobson, and he wanted his story to be told correctly, and that was that it all started just like your story of finding pornography on the streets in a dumpster, and that that eventually led him to an addiction that led him to trying things out, and he started linking together to the guards right before his death the various unsolved murders and how he had been involved in them, and it all started with the dehumanization of the person and pornography. But here's the kicker. Jim, he came from a good Christian home, Absolutely. and that's what's startling. Absolutely. He, you know,
1: there's, there's a false bubble uh, in, in Christianity that we often live in and say, well, you know, my son, my daughter, they're in youth group, and we go to Mass every Sunday, and we do an hour of adoration um, once a week. And so even if somebody showed them that or they came across it, they're gonna look away. Well, you think about yourself as an adult driving by a car accident. (laughs) You don't look away.
0: Right.
1: Right? That's why they call it rubbernecking traffic because we're all spinning our heads to see what happened. Well, it's Mm -hmm. the same thing here, coupled with a natural biological curiosity that God has created in us for the opposite sex and sexuality. It is a good thing. But we can't be naive enough to believe that just because our kids are good Catholic kids or good Christian kids, they're not going to fall prey to the same thing.
0: So let's have... talk about resources.
1: Sure, sure, sorry.
0: What, what should people do? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead and finish your thought.
1: Well, I just want people to know that I have daily communicants that call me for coaching mm. Mm. that are struggling with this problem.
0: To clarify, people who are going to mass every single day.
1: Every single day. That is an incredible mm. and wonderful commitment to their faith, and they still struggle. Pornography has, they don't care. It doesn't care. Young, old, rich, poor, religious, atheist, doesn't matter, it's mm. gonna hook you. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. So resources to work on this, because I remember some years ago, I came across a great book for children called get good pictures, bad pictures, and it's to get ahead of the problem before it's a problem. It's a picture book. You sit down with your child, you read through it talking about healthy versus unhealthy images, the way the brain functions a little bit in terms of reactions that could occur. And it's not explicitly scandalous at all. But if your child has already been exposed to pornography, they're going to know what you're talking about. And if they haven't yet, it will put already boundaries in place for them to know where to go. If they see it to stop, don't look, distract themselves, tell a parent, tell an adult, can you talk to me about resources, beyond that book again that's a good pictures bad pictures we'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes i'm already timing by the way jim the timing in which i share this with my daughters my daughter is two and a half and my thoughts are this is an appropriate book to start using probably by the age of four or five but mm. in the meantime even just having conversations about who we do and don't wear clothes in front of and if someone doesn't wear clothes in front of you what you should say you know that no even things such as don't don't ask other people to take you to the bathroom. That's a new one I'm working on. Because whoever she loves at the time is a person she wants to take her to the bathroom. Of, of, of course, because
1: <laughs> she's innocent, absolutely, right. and yeah. she, and God, that's wonderful. But as a parent, you have to uh, put those boundaries in place. There's there's three resources I always recommend to parents that kind of, in my opinion, um, take you through the the sacramental life. So. Early after baptism, probably around your daughter's age, there's a great book on our website. You can purchase it. I think it's three bucks. It's called Wonderfully Made Babies. And it talks uh, to boys and girls about the differences in our bodies and how God intended our bodies to be. And it talks about if, if it's a part of your body that's normally covered by a bathing suit That's a part of your body that nobody else should see, and you shouldn't see anybody else's. Because one of the things that's happening now all the time is people are using pornography to groom children Mm. for continued uh, sexual abuse. Once the kid Mm -hmm. gets used to the porn, then they kinda know what's gonna happen and it becomes much easier. Mm -hmm. So, wonderfully made babies. Second one, probably about four or five years old, Um, For a lot of parents, they're more comfortable around First Communion age, which might be seven or eight, Um, and that is good pictures, bad pictures. Okay. So we've got the early with wonderfully made babies, we've got good pictures, bad pictures, and then right around confirmation time, uh, before is even better, but if you can't bring yourself to do it, certainly by confirmation, um, is... Plunging Pornography, Mm. a Catholic bathroom book for teens. Mm -hmm. This book is hysterical. It's done in a cartoon style, uh, produced here by Integrity Restored, written by an incredibly talented guy, DJ Uniman. And um, that book really helps parents have this conversation because parents freak out about it. Mm -hmm. So, So this book makes an easy thing where the parent reads the book first, puts it in the kid's bathroom, tells the kid to read it. They spend a crazy amount of time in there anyway, give them something good to read. (laughs) And um, then there's questions at the end of each section that you can sit down and have a conversation with your child. So you don't have to come up with the conversation starters. The book Mm -hmm. does it for you.
0: So those are- Fantastic resources.
1: Three great resources. Uh, The second one, uh, the, the other thing, sorry, that you can do, is Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes should be on all the devices in your home. Phones, tablets, computers. And if you go to Covenant Eyes' website, CovenantEyes.com, and put in the promo code INTEGRITY30, uh, they'll give uh, Integrity Restored uh, supporters, fans, listeners, whatever, a free 30-day subscription to try it out.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for that resource. Covenant Eyes is a great resource. You can put it on all of your smart devices. It helps with being a blocker against pornography. And if... That block is pulled down. You will receive a notification. These are excellent resources. I love those books. We'll mention them one more time. You mentioned Plunging Pornography for a little bit older. Uh, you mentioned Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And then you also mentioned that I'm looking for it online, Wonderfully Made Babies, right?
1: Wonderfully Made Babies, yes.
0: Okay, and I know you guys are sold out on your website. Do you know when you'll have it in stock so, again? Yeah,
1: Wonderfully Made Babies will be in stock third week of September. Okay. So... Um, if you shoot us a note, we'll get you on the list and we'll get them to you as soon as you need them. Um, plunging pornography is in stock now. It did come in, uh, so they may not have just updated the website. Um, and then, um, good pictures, bad pictures, unfortunately we are no longer carrying, but you can get that on Amazon
0: fabulous so we're posting links to all of these great resources it helps you to have the conversation it guides you because this is one of those moments as a parent i know i would be if i wasn't aware of pornography if i were hearing this for the first time and maybe you are i would sit here saying oh my goodness, I don't even know how to start talking about this. I feel uncomfortable. It's nerve-wracking. It's something that you want to avoid just with the thought of the topic. Maybe it is scandalous to your own ears. This has never been a problem for you. Praise the Lord if it has never been a struggle for you, especially especially if you're a father, if you never have that struggle. But don't assume that that won't be the struggle for your own child.
1: Oh, a- absolutely. And and there are men and, and women that I have spoken to that have said, I've never looked at it. I've never seen it. You know, I've passed by the magazines in the store, but even as a young person, I was never interested. Well, like you said, praise God for that. That is an amazing gift that you have, but your child is living in a different age mm-hmm. where I almost 100% would guarantee you before you know it, they are going to be exposed. There's so many stories out there of, well, I homeschool, my house is locked down. Okay, great. Your child goes to their cousin's house. Your child goes to the park to play with other kids. You can't be everywhere 24 hours a day. You have to assume that they will be exposed. So what have you done to arm them with the tools Mm. necessary? to handle that exposure.
0: Amen, these are great resources, Jim. I know you have these on your website as well at the shop integrityrestored.com. That's integrityrestored.com. Share with me just a little bit of information if someone's struggling with pornography addiction right now or looking occasionally, where should they go on your website as a resource to overcome this?
1: Um, So we have a couple different things. There's a bunch of free eBooks that that you can download by giving us your uh, email address. And we'll send you those free ebooks, and, and those are great resources. Uh, the second thing is, if you're struggling and you want to find help, there's a section on there about finding a therapist. Um, there's a section on there about how to talk. Uh, there's a blog post on there about how to talk to your priest uh, about this and how to deal with it in confession uh, without being too graphic and scandalizing the priest, which unfortunately also often happens. Right. Um, and. And our podcast, Tim Marie, is just a great. It's twenty minutes a week. Mm-hmm. Um, throw it on when you're in the car. Educate yourself about this problem. Yes, I was just I just did a, a radio show in Ireland uh, with a woman who has really taken on this battle over there because she was a doctor for most of her life, and the Irish government has now kind of decided that parents are not equipped or able to educate their kids sexually. So the school will do it based upon a WHO curriculum which tells oh, them brother. 0 to 4 years old should be taught about basic human sexuality including how to pleasure themselves. Ugh,
0: it's horrific. 0 it's to
1: 4 years old. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. We <laughs> we can't expect that won't happen here.
0: Right. Right. And we are seeing things such as these in the schools in California. And I know it's not just California, it's other schools as well across the nation. And it's been there for years. People tend to be surprised that it's in their state. We do have a question coming in from Mike in Wausau, Wisconsin. Mike, welcome to Trending. What's your question for Jim today? Thank you for taking my call. I recently uh, came across a prisoner
1: who has been Incarcerated for eight years It has 11 more years to go. And my research found out that he was incarcerated because of child, child pornography. So I asked him uh, whether he had any resources to overcome this, and obviously I got zero.
0: So, mm.
1: wondering. Is there any resources, any programs that could be put into the prison system to help this gentleman out? Most likely, lots of other people.
0: Great question, Mike, about giving access—you know—a prisoner who is in for child pornography use. Jim, what resources do you recommend for this particular man, and in general for giving to the prison prison system?
1: Yeah, there's a—it's there, a real quandary because. Um, we would love to send resources to prisons, but because our resources talk about pornography, you're not allowed to bring them into the prisons.
0: Wow.
1: That's number one. Yes. Uh, number two is what this man really needs. And and I don't know how he ended up on child pornography. We, we need to do an episode on that, Timory. Make a note. Um, yeah. it, there's many ways to end up there. Sometimes it's not that the guy is a pedophile. So that's a separate conversation, but, um, he needs therapy and unfortunately, um, the type of therapy he needs, he's probably not going to get in the prison system. So his real recovery, he's white knuckling his pornography addiction now because he doesn't have access. His real recovery will begin when he gets out of prison, hopefully, and starts seeing a a certified sexual addiction therapist.
0: Excellent resources. So really helping to get the access to therapy and talking about the connection uh, as we can. And again, maybe that's one-on-one. If you are in the midst of prison ministry, train up at integrityrestore.com. Learn some of those resources, and if you can't take materials in, perhaps it's having those conversations. Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, helping to face a crisis of pornography, whether it's on occasion or regularly. Great resources at integrityrestored.com. We're posting a link on social media, as well as in the episode notes to all of these great resources, especially for children, help protect your children from looking at pornography. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about why we misunderstand our bodies.
1: So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Why do we struggle to understand our bodies today? This is a question. There's discontinuity everywhere from the experience of going through puberty and the discomfort and dislike of your body to struggling with weight to struggling with not having weight but thinking there's something wrong with your body. Body dysmorphia is a very common today. We have the challenge of the gender dysphoria that many people are experiencing and even the fact that people encourage gender dysphoria. People encourage you to identify something other than you and other than what you are. The cruelty, if you look at what's happening on social media, is unbelievable with children. A child will share on social media that they feel ugly today, and while there could be a slew of people saying, no, you aren't, there's also a slew of children continuing to knock that person down, speaking lies. We see it with the disorientation of same-sex attraction, which, by the way, we'll be talking with Kim Zembar tomorrow here on Trending. She lived a a lesbian lifestyle for years. She doesn't anymore. She's catholic and has fought to embrace chastity in the face of her experience of same-sex attraction and she has an incredible story to share she actually wrote a book but i'm excited to share her testimony here tomorrow we see this a misunderstanding of our body this confusion and we see it for example even with the discontinuity within marriage family life dating the avoidance of pregnancy, the dislike of motherhood and fatherhood. All of this is chaos with regard to the proper purpose of our bodies. And when I was reading Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body this week, the Catechetical Talk 28 is so relevant to what's happening Pope St. John Paul II, as we're walking through our Theology of the Body series, unpacking the full depth of what is the antidote to all of these crises of our culture today. He says that the specific difficulty occurring right now is in sensing the essential elements of our own body. The essentiality of one's own body, he said, is the problem. We don't see this as easy after the fall. Prior to the fall, that original sense of unity and understanding of us before one another, even in that nakedness without shame, all of it was clear. But after the fall, what happens? The body, Pope St. John Paul II says, is no longer subject to the spirit as it was in that original state of innocence, that inner original state of happiness in the garden. But after the fall, because of the fall, because of concupiscence, Within ourselves, we carry, Pope St. John Paul II says, a constant hotbed of resistance against the spirit. And this threatens in some way, he says, the unity we experience as a person, both individually, the unity within our own bodies, but also unity within the context of nature in other people. He said that this disunity, this hotbed of resistance is particularly rooted in the very constitution of our person, that post-fall, after that original state of union and innocence and nakedness and espousal meaning the body, the clarity with regard to the generative dimension of creating new life and the mystery and gift that that was, after the fall, all of this turns into this structure that lacks self-possession as Pope Saint John Paul II says, and lacks self-dominion. Prior to the fall, the body and soul, the spirit were all connected to one another. There was a blueprint for the human person, for human interaction. There was continuity, not discontinuity. There was self-possession. There was confidence. There was self-dominion occurring within the human person. There was a simplicity, as Pope Saint John Paul II refers to, in the body That simplicity and naturalness that occurred prior to the fall is gone today with concupiscence. This is why the culture who has turned its back on God says, you do you. If you want to, quote, marry someone of the same sex, do it. Love is love. If you want to dress as a woman, but you're really a man, go for it. If you want to use the women's restroom, but you're a man, go for it fine by me. If you would like to compete on the women's sports team, that's okay. You should be able to do whatever you want. Notice all those things I said in particular really do hurt women. Sexual immorality, sexual discontinuity, and disorientation hurt men and women, but they hurt women even more so because women are meant to be protected and respected by the people in institutions of society. Why? Don't be offended by it if you're a woman. It's because we have the potential for new human life. Our bodies were wired to be more dependent upon others in our physical strength, in our emotional makeup. We're made for complementarity. We're made for community. We're made for having children. It's not the only thing we're made for, but it's one of the great gifts and mysteries. Yet this discontinuity that happened after the fall is what Pope St. John Paul II is saying that that interior imbalance is occurring, that imminent shame that we experience in our our behavior. For this reason, Pope St. John Paul II says that that imminent and at the same time sexual shame is always at least directly relative and that it particularly approaches or is directed at people we know in particular relationships. So, Pope St. John Paul II is talking about how our shame that we experience as a result of the fall in this discontinuity with our own bodies and in our interaction with others. He said, it's always relative in the respect that it is related to a particular person, our personal discontinuity with our own bodies, our discontinuity with our own relationships, in particular sexual relationships or sexual relation and perspective of us before others. This is why we're unpacking what Pope St. John Paul II is drawing our eyes to, and that is the pe- the appeal that Jesus Christ makes to the human heart, that even to look at a person lustfully shows that we've already committed a sin if we're indulging in thoughts rather than if we experience a disordered thought, okay, hey, it's there, move past it. Instead, of we indulge or act out on it. But what Jesus Christ is saying in the Sermon on the Mount as we're unpacking currently in our Theology of the Body series is that to even look at someone in a way that is destructive, that is degrading, is already committing a sin in a reductive way, as St. John Paul II says. And so we're being called in the light of Jesus Christ and His grace to look at that original state of the human person in the garden, see the discontinuity we have after the fall, and turn to God's grace and mercy to rediscover that lost understanding of the human person. If you're a woman, as a woman. If you're a man, as a man. Understanding the impact of concupiscence and the necessity of grace in our lives. It's interesting because Pope St. John Paul II talks about this from the perspective of psychology as well as theology. And he talks about how from a psychological perspective, it's understood that there is a fallen human nature. And it's talked about often in terms of values that are desired and that need to be appeased and that we have fundamental desires that need to be met. Scratches that need to be itched, that they're fundamental to the human being. And this is understood within psychology as desire and need. Yet from a Catholic biblical anthropology, we actually understand this as the fact that we have a human nature. That the human nature, the human person, when our spirit is distanced from the original simplicity, as Pope St. John Paul II says, when it's distanced from that original simplicity, we lose the fullness of the value of our bodies and ourselves in totality. And this is why Jesus Christ appealed in the Sermon on the Mount to the heart. That written on our hearts is God's covenant, it's there. It's relevant. It's important for us to turn to God in that desire of, Lord, I feel this discontinuity within myself, but I still seek to live out that incredible vision and mission you have for my life. We see in St. Paul, St. Paul's work, he talks about this, that God's covenant is written on our hearts. Even in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied Jeremiah and Ezekiel about how God would animate our bodies, our dead bodies, that he would pick up our bones and animate them, helping them to function according to God's law, that God would write on our stony hearts. What does a stony heart mean? A heart turned away from God, that on our stony hearts, he would write and implant his covenant upon our hearts so that we can return to that original state as God intended, that original correct orientation that simplicity of the body, where we see the fullness of the value of our body and others. This is what theology of the body is unpacking. That in the midst of this misunderstanding of the body, whether it be through the process of puberty, whether it be the discontinuity with gender dysphoria today, the brokenness within marital relationships, the taking and aggression within dating relationships, The heartbreak of having children outside of marriage, the heartbreak of the bodily damage done by sexually transmitted diseases, the impact on fertility and infertility, all of this is connected to when we misunderstand what our bodies are made for. And we can only understand that fundamentally within the context of our faith. A human biblical anthropology that is theological and philosophical. And I think that's what's so wonderful to unpack. And that we're understanding the proper order to our bodies and that God intended it from the beginning and that this is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to open the gates of heaven, to fill us with his grace and mercy through the sacrament of reconciliation, through the sacrament of communion so that we can be conformed and united to the body of Christ and his image, his blueprint that he has for you and I and for future generations. That it's always been that same desire for God to be united with us, but that he gave us free will. And in the face of our fallen nature, we're called to regain a greater understanding again of the mystery of Christ. And again, that blueprint for our bodies. This is our Theology of the Body series here on Trending with Tim I hope you'll pick it up with us. We're posting a podcast summarizing the Theology of the Body each week here on Trending. I'd love to hear your questions and thoughts. You can read along from the actual text from the 133 catechetical talks of Theology of the Body. Just learn more at relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about fertility and infertility, especially questions about artificial insemination, things such as intrauterine insemination, and also gift here. Setting the record straight about what the Catholic Church does and doesn't teach about third-party reproductive technologies as help in the face of fertility crises.
1: We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Oh, it's a hard topic to discuss. Fertility and infertility, it is impacting everyone. Someone we know. I share this all the time. I only have one friend that I can think of who hasn't had a difficult time conceiving children. One friend, Uh, everyone in some respect in my peer set has struggled with this, many of whom are facing the possibility that they won't be able to have children. And with that comes the question over and over again, what resources are there to help, quote, treat fertility? And I think what's scary is that actual infertility, when someone can't have a child, you can't treat in the respect that It can't be fixed per se, yet we have a culture that says everything can be fixed. Everything, you just want something, you go out and buy it. And I think that's what's so challenging about this question. I've shared this before when, before I got married for years, I was told that I might not be able to have children. It would likely be very difficult. And it was a startling Startling thing to hear. And I remember even sharing it my now my with my husband, but who was then my boyfriend, that news one point that you know I've been told multiple times this could be something difficult. And as you know, my story, I've shared it here before. We did struggle with fertility issues. It's a struggle to this day, and it's something that we have to diligently work on. And I've abandoned prayerfully to God's to God's providence. And I think that's scary when we turn to God's providence because it's an unknown. And I received a message a couple weeks ago from a woman named Tracy who is struggling herself with fertility, having a baby. And she had some concerns about my com- my coverage of in vitro fertilization, intrauterine insemination, also known as artificial insemination, and some discontinuity. Discontinu- she seems to note with different things that are said within the Catholic Church. So, I want to set the record straight. And the best place to go th- to do that is actually unpacking a document from 1987 from the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. That's from the Vatican. It's called Donum Vitae. And it explicitly unpacks clear structures on what is morally acceptable, not morally acceptable, when it comes to new scientific technologies that will be used or are being used now since 1987, and ones that were already in place at 1987. And a lot of what's discussed includes in vitro fertilization completely saying IVF is off the table. It, more likely than not, includes everything from actually Boarding baby, killing babies through so called selective reduction. It includes creating human life outside of the conjugal act of marriage. It includes often the process of masturbation, among other things. And so it's explicitly covered as unacceptable. But there are also third party reproductive technologies, such as things such as GIFT and IUI, that aren't explicitly talked about, but that we can apply theology to in addressing. And so, we want to be really clear about that. So, GIFT is gamut intrafallopian tube transfer and IUI is also known as intrauterine insemination or artificial insemination. Something always startling for me when I look at what the Catholic Church says in Donum Vitae is it talks over and over again about artificially creating life. And it uses very clear language helping to draw our attention from the get-go to this idea of in a synthetic way, trying to make new life happen. The underlying tone of Donum Vitae from the Congregation for the Doctor of the Faith from the Vatican is very clear. And it emphasizes that every new human life is meant to come from the, the loving marital act of a husband and a wife and that nothing can be substituted in the use of creating new life. It actually makes it very explicitly clear that even if there was a morally acceptable way, for example, of harvesting, for example, sperm and egg, that that still doesn't make it acceptable to create new life out of the marital act. And so, what is very clear in Donum Vitae and in a, a, applied theology is the teaching that places such as the National Catholic Bioethics Center spells out because there's a lot of debate. Well, what if we don't have explicitly where the church says that intrauterine insemination or even gamut intrafallopian tube transfer, also known as gift, is morally acceptable or not? Well, the National Catholic Bioethics Center is really clear in helping us to apply the church's theology to situations such as these. And it actually says that the subsequent steps that occur—well, let me back up here. So we actually do have the ability to harvest or should I say collect sperm in a morally acceptable way. This is done for infertility treatment. It's done with basically a perforated condom where some of the sperm still can enter into the spouse and some can be collected and that you're not creating an absolute barrier to potential new life occurring and you're not doing any other things that are a violation of the marital act. That said, we also need to address the topic of egg harvesting, which if we have a moment, I'll do later. If not, we can talk about it later. Uh, let's just be really clear that egg harvesting is so damaging, though, for a woman's body. And if it were to be done in a way that wasn't damaging to the body, perhaps that could be considered. But egg harvesting to this point in time is extremely damaging for a woman's body. So let's talk about what intrauterine insemination and GIFT are covered, whether morally acceptable or not, by the National Catholic Bioethics Center. It actually says that after acknowledging that sperm can be collected in a morally acceptable manner, it says the subsequent steps of GIFT and IUI involve a substitution replacement of the conjugal act by injecting the sex cells into the woman's body via a cannula. So what it's saying is that even though you can harvest, for example, sperm, what's wrong is that GIFT, gift and IUI actually replace and substitute the marital act itself because there's an injection that takes place. It then goes on to say the marital act does not itself cause a future pregnancy in these situations, but it says only enables the collection of sperm. It says this is a major concern because it undermines that understanding that every new human life is meant to come through the gift of the marital act, that mutual union that is so significant in the church's teaching. And so one of the questions that came up from Tracy who's struggling with fertility and said, hey, I went to the USCCB website and what you're saying is contradictory to what the USCCB says. I'll be really clear, what the USCCB's latest document on this topic says is that this is an area that is being debated within the church. However, we have places such as the National Catholic Bioethics Center that clearly spells out through Donum Vitae That is the church's teaching on fertility, what it has used applied to theology to say that intrauterine insemination and gift are not morally acceptable because of some of the steps that occur. Rather than getting so focused on the nitty-gritty of each step of these third-party reproductive technologies as a seeming solution to the struggle with fertility, I challenge all of us to think about what the church is saying with regard to the gift of new human life. It's saying that marriage is a context, and within that context, the gift and mystery of new life be co-creating the spouses with God is the context in which new life should come about. But also, don't Vitae, this church document, again from the 80s, on the challenges surrounding fertility, makes it very clear that children are made to be created in the one flesh union, an act of union and love that honors the natural and miraculous gift of new life. Donum Vitae actually says a person is a result of an act of giving. And with that, we talk about this idea of trusting and providence and humility in the face of having children. I know this is difficult. I've struck, I've faced the challenge of fertility and I've faced people telling me, I'll never forget, I'd only been married maybe eight months and this woman kept telling me over and over, and you just need to do IVF. You just need to do IVF. And without acknowledging the reality of one, the struggle of fertility, but two, acknowledging that. Just because we want something, just because there are options to try and buy something doesn't mean we should. Donavite says the one conceived must always be the fruit of his parents' love and that he cannot be desired or conceived as a result of intervention of medical or biological techniques. That would be, it says, the equivalent of reducing the person to an object of scientific technology. What Donum Vitae says is startlingly clear, that we have to be careful not to turn into the area of biological technologies, where we can reduce a human person to to a scientific experiment. It's not easy news to hear, but we also have to look at the gift versus trying to claim that having a child is a right in today's society. Tracy and others, if you are struggling with fertility, know that I am praying with you, but I encourage you to offer this to our Lord. This is Timree from Trending with Timree. What about same-sex attraction? Living a gay lifestyle? Well, we're going to talk about it on Trending. Kim Zembar has experienced same-sex attraction. She lived a lesbian lifestyle, but she chooses to live a chaste Catholic life, and she's going to share her story here on Trending on Wednesday. Also, what happened at the World Cup with that kiss of congratulations, supposedly? We'll talk about it here on Trending, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio.